May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. We're continuing our uh, brief series today on everyday monks as we are talking about the values, the pillars of Redeemer, uh, this community here. And the guiding image that we're using is the image and metaphor of that monastery you actually see on the, uh, your insert, your handout. And I think there's two dominant reasons why that is, is helpful. One is that the image itself is just very robust. It's, it's like freighted with a lot of potential uh, for us to talk about the shape of the Christian life. And, and two uh, is a more historical one, namely that we are downriver, uh, so to speak, from precisely these sorts of uh, spaces, monasteries. The uh, English spirituality and Celtic spirituality, uh, the soil in which it grew was monastic. And that was peculiar uh, when compared to the Christian uh, communities and churches across the continent, that there really was a, a very central role that these monastic communities played. And when we say the word monastic, uh, if you think monotheism or monotone, right, one God, one tone, a monastic is uh, one-minded per single-minded about God. Uh, it's this uh, really a spirituality of minimalism where we're uprooting things, distractions, commitments, and we're making our spiritual life uh, more potent. Uh, or more dense. And this is really uh, what that monastic vision is. And today, as we're uh, discussing that, the value that is going to give uh, clarity to this vision that we imagine uh, the kind of life that God has called us to, I want to talk a little bit about our value of hospitality. Uh, hospitality for Redeemer is a value, meaning that it is a, a pillar on which we think that the Christian life should be built. And, and as a value, as a pillar, it means that the extent to which that pillar is missing, that our own Christian sanctity, the integrity of our faith, uh, is going to have something missing. It is that constitutive of Christian identity, hospitality is. And I know that that may sound uh, pretty radical, right? That if you attempt to have Christianity without the practice of hospitality, uh, you actually don't have Christianity. <laughs> um, it's something else. Uh, whatever hospitality is, it's constitutive of our Christian identity. And this is because uh, the God that has been revealed in Jesus, the God of Israel, has been revealed as a God of uh, tenacious hospitality. Uh, and we are created in the image of this God, the image and likeness, and as a mirror image, if the God who is the creator and redeemer of all 
Uh, if this God has been revealed to be hospitable and we are to be in the image and uh, conform to the image of the Son that is the invisible representation of this God, well then hospitality is a means by which we are conformed to this God. Typically, the name that we give this divine hospitality, uh, it goes by the name incarnation. Uh, This is the radical hospitality of God, where God uh, literally, and even uh, more uh, deeply than literally, grafts in humanity into God's very own life, in the second person of the Trinity. Jesus, right, is fully, fully human. It is to say that God is capacious enough to, like, create a seat at the divine table of blessing and and grafts humanity into it. This is the incarnation. This is how God redeems through this radical act of of hospitality. And this gives shape to the, the ministry of Jesus, I even think that uh, you can read especially true of Luke. You can say that Luke's Jesus, the, the Jesus as, as Luke is giving that account, that Jesus ends up crucified because of how he practices hospitality at the dinner table. That Jesus' hospitality is actually what leads, right? This is the one who is feasting, eating with tax collectors, with sinners. Uh, Jesus' ministry is keenly marked by sweeping from the margins, right? The very people in Second Temple Judaism, first century Palestine, who were kept at arm's length, right? Uh, women, lepers, uh, sinners, uh, kept at arm's length in the culture, in the ministry of Jesus, brought near. And, and the space where that nearness is brought is, for Jesus, it was the dinner table. This radical hospitality that ends up getting him in uh, a lot of trouble. And this hospitality is the means by which we are saved. God's hospitality, God making space and calling us into that space. It's, it's how we ourselves are Uh, redeemed and saved and this is the ministry of Jesus if uh, I think a great example of this uh, if you recall the story of uh, Zacchaeus you know wee little man up in a tree right Uh, waiting for Jesus to come to town and then what does Jesus uh, what does Jesus say to Zacchaeus Um, he says Zacchaeus um, we're going to your house today Um, translation Zacchaeus Thanks for hosting a party for me and all my friends. That's exactly what it is. Jesus, like, like sees Zacchaeus, right? This rich, um, like, very, uh, everyone looked down their nose at this tax collector. Jesus says, hey, uh, Zacchaeus, uh, we're, we're going to party at your house. Thank you, by the way. Um, we're, we're going into your pockets to, for all my friends. And you see the impossible actually takes place, right? A rich man is saved. Zacchaeus. Jesus says salvation has come to this house. Zacchaeus is utterly transformed by the hospitality of Jesus that creates this hospitality in 
Zacchaeus. And what you can actually see is there's kind of a link uh, of a, a hospitality link, as it were, of our redemption. Uh, namely, this uh, is the pattern of our redemption. Jesus says, uh, right, pointing to, to children. Uh, we tend to like uh, sentimentalize children, but they did not uh, do that in the first century. Uh, children were viewed as like of lesser worth than slaves, uh, because at least a slave is going to get some work done. Um, this uh, thing, this child is just another mouth to feed. And whenever you uh, are scraping by on subsistent agriculture, that's a lot. Uh, and so when the children come up to Jesus and he says, yeah, if you receive one of these little ones, you receive me. Right? If you can practice hospitality with those that you consider to be lower than slaves, yeah, you've received me. And if you don't receive them, you, you haven't received me. Uh, and if you receive me, you receive the one who sent me. Right? So you see this, kind of li this hospitality link in the chain that draws us back into the divine heart. And this has been uh, true from the very beginning. This is the kind of God we worship, but uh, I want to draw our attention to that Old Testament passage that we had read in Leviticus. Uh, this passage is, is taken out of a portion in Leviticus uh, that begins with the phrase, uh, be holy as I am holy. God is saying this. And then Moses catalogs uh, a list of statutes of commands uh, that are kind of hung on this, this broader command of sanctity, of holiness. Meaning, uh, uh, whatever it means to keep these commands, you're mirroring, you're imaging, you're, you're living a life that's commensurate with the holiness of the God of Israel, right? So in these commands, we're seeing something of the character and essence of God. And, and so what I'm doing right now, I'm elevating the importance of what was read uh, in Leviticus, because this is going to at once show us the kind of God uh, that the God of Israel is, and then also the kind of people that this God uh, calls his people. The commands that we had read uh, regarded uh, the reaping and sowing laws of ancient Israel. Uh, this is important because when you're in an agrarian society, your crop, the things you grow, that's at the very center of your economic life, your social life, political life, uh, what we think of as like religious life, but better like cultic life, the sacrificial life. It is at the center of everything. Um, uh, it's our functional equivalent would be money, right? I mean, how much of our politics our culture wars, our society, the struggles are all about the distribution of wealth or the holding back of that distribution or the rate of that distribution. And so much of it revolves around money. Well, in an agrarian society, you have the crop is functioning in a very uh, key way in this regard and in this role. What is the command that Moses gives? He says... Uh, in your field, Israel, you are not to reap from the edges of your field. Meaning, uh, when you're harvesting your crop, when you get up towards the edge of the field, you leave it. You don't take the crop. 
You harvest from the midst of the field, in the middle of the field. And then he says, and then the crop as you're harvesting in the midst of the field, as you're reaping what you sowed, anything that falls down to the ground in the field, you leave that. Don't touch it. And then what does he say? He says, for this belongs to the poor and the stranger. Now this is key. This is key. This is, right, ancient Israel's hospitality. This belongs to the poor and the stranger, like the other, like not you. Now this is key. According to Leviticus, uh, Israel is not being, this is essential, Israel is not being generous by leaving the edges of their fields uh, unharvested. They're not being generous. What Moses teaches is that belongs to the poor. It's not yours. Yes, what you poured your blood, sweat, tears, months of labor, the fruit of that labor, Moses says, yeah, that's not yours. (laughs) Uh, Meaning, if you actually reap to the edge of your field, according to Leviticus, you're stealing. At this point, we will have an end-of-the-year giving sermon. (laughs) Um, Totally kidding. But I want us to see that this is not generosity according to Leviticus. This is simply what justice requires. And this, I'm going to suggest, is uh, an ethic that carries through, actually, into the New Testament. Uh, And Paul will even go so far to say not just your money, like, doesn't belong to you, Uh, Your very life, right? Paul will say, you can't just go around doing whatever you want with your body. This is how far Paul takes it. Uh, No, you can't do it because you're not your own. It doesn't belong to you. It's not yours to do with it what you will. So part of our redemption is uh, apparently, according to Paul, is a radical surrendering of rights. This is how Paul understands redemption in Christ. But back to the reaping and the sowing, what I want us to see is that leaving this food for the stranger, practicing hospitality for the poor for Israel was not like an optional thing. It wasn't an addendum to their being the people of God. It was, in fact, constitutive of the type of people that they will be. We are a type of people that, yeah, are hard-earned crops. This, it's not our, it's for the poor. Like, in other words, there is a seat at Israel's table for the poor and for the stranger. And if they attempt to uh, do away with that seat, either by reaping in radical uh, in, in, injustice practices that we see throughout uh, the Old Testament, that the prophets are always calling them back to this Levitical ideal, um, Israel ceases to be uh, a, a nation that exemplifies the holiness of God. Well, This is the radical hospitality that God has called us to, that we are not our own, that we uh, uh, belong to another. And in fact, Paul will say, you belong to each other. (laughs) That there's, uh, that like, uh, you owe love to your sisters and brothers. This is how Paul will think about the Christian community. But when we get to this very powerful image that Jesus uh, 
gives us in the parable of the sheep and the goats. Uh, a, very, um, a very intense uh, teaching of Jesus. What we see is this hospitality carries through and Jesus teaches that it's actually going to determine, um, it's going to constitute uh, who his disciples are. Right? In the parable, you have those who are going into the kingdom prepared for them before the foundation of the world, and you have those going into eternal fire. And those who are going into the kingdom are surprised they're going into the kingdom. And those who are going into the eternal fire are surprised that they're going into the eternal fire. And the metrics by which uh, this, uh, this son of man who is sitting on a throne and, and is scrutinizing and, and judging, the metrics have everything to do with how uh, the least of these were treated with respect to that individual that Christ is talking to, right? So uh, Jesus will say, well, I, uh, we, we often ask the question, I mean, I know uh, in the church when I was growing up, I heard this all the time, like, do you know Jesus? You know, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? The question that this parable actually puts before us is not, do you know Jesus? But does Jesus know you? <laughs> um, and what you find in the parable is uh, Jesus is essentially saying, if a poor man or a poor woman doesn't know you, I don't know you. <laughs> yeah, if somebody in prison doesn't know your name, Jesus is uh, we have good evidence to say, oh yeah, this Jesus doesn't know your name. Like, it is that, um, like, brass tacks. And I know we have, like, a flurry of, like, Protestant questions of, like, grace and faith and how all this works. But we need not take away the scandal or the bite of Jesus' teachings here precisely around hospitality. Namely, have we created space in our time, in our resources, in our money, in our giftings uh, for precisely the people that Jesus says uh, are invited to the party, right? The people that are feasting with Jesus all throughout the Gospels. It's precisely the people that, like, didn't get the invite. Like, that's who Jesus, it, Jesus is constantly sweeping from the margins. And Whatever reverence that we have here in this space, whatever reverence we have in our own piety and faith, that reverence is unto the reverencing of the poor woman. The poor man. Uh, those who don't have food. Right? This, this is, if you've ever heard of St. Francis of Assisi's conversion, it's really powerful, um, where he uh, sees this leper uh, with such beauty, and he's like, oh, there, there's a, the kingdom of God is so powerful and beautiful, and, it, and it's a complete shift in way of seeing, right? And that's really what this parable turns on. What do we, what do we actually see? Uh, do you see Christ in the poor? Um, but the reverence that we have here is unto the reverence of 
those on the outside. Uh, and, the, and if we ever mistake that, um, as Jesus will condemn the temple, uh, yeah, that kind of religion, it can just burn. <laughs> burn to the ground. Let, yeah, this temple, yeah. Because look what it just did to that widow. <laughs> like, it's not worthy of staying around. The early monastics, uh, the, the, the practice of hospitality was of such high importance. If you had a, a nun or a monk that was uh, in deep uh, in prayer, deep in vigil, or deep in a fast, like for their own sanctity, if a, a poor person, a poor sister or brother, a stranger uh, came to them, they were to drop whatever it was they were doing, uh, fasting, okay, that's done. Hospitality is now the game in town. And this happened so much where these ascetics, these monks, uh, were just known for this radical hospitality that they even got a bad rap. Like, yeah, all those monastics, they're actually just eating and drinking all the time. <laughs> Does this sound familiar? Like, Jesus, right? This is the, the radical uh, hospitality that God has called uh, the people of his church into and redeemer uh, as a part of that church in this place um, may all of us may all of us uh, create space in our hearts for this one uh, who is standing at the door knocking uh, just like he came into Zacchaeus's home Christ is knocking on our doors knocking on these doors uh, and the face of that Christ will be very surprising. It will probably be the last person uh, you expect. <laughs> and behold, uh, Christ is in our midst. Amen.